Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. But as always, we start the show by taking a look at the business stories that are exercising the country and indeed the world. Delighted to be joined here in the three shop this morning by Susan Hayes Culleton of Hayes Culleton, aka the Positive Economist. And we're also joined by an old friend of the show, uh, Connor Falkland, uh, a motoring commentator and the CEO of the Royal Irish Automobile Club. You're both very welcome Thank to you, the programme. Um, Susan, we might start with you, if we may. Uh, new mortgage relief plan. Uh, to ease pressure on spiralling interest rates. And we did see again, um, somewhat, uh, some people were taken by some, a little bit of surprise about a further uh, interest, the 10th, I think, in 12 months. So the landscape for uh, first-time borrowers is challenging. Okay, so indeed we saw the double-digit number this week of the 10th increase of the ECB rate. And particularly where the story is coming from is that we have... Uh, what, what we've got is something that is potentially a, a really new development, I suppose, within the budget, which is the potential for a new um, support for mortgage owners, but, but particularly in the context of those who are struggling. So what I want to do there, Bobby, is just I'll just leave some nuance on the table about this. First of all, the central bank had some figures out this week. So the number of private mortgage accounts in arrears in Q2 this, this quarter um, fell by 4%. And so we need to bear that in mind, is that who is this being targeted towards? Leo Varadkar and, and Michael McGrath also made the point that this must be targeted. So I, I went looking for who exactly is being targeted in this area. Currently, Ireland is 100 billion euro of mortgages outstanding and 6.5% of those accounts are in arrears. So that's where we might be seeing that particularly being targeted. And how does that compare, that 6.5% being in, in arrears with the European average? Are we higher or are we lower? Or? Well, where I think the nuance of that is actually more interesting is to look at within that 6.5%, where those arrears are focused. It is in under 90 days and it is in the longer term arrears. And that, so if you were to add, add that in there, but also, can I? that's the current situation, Bobby. What I would like to point out as well is the future situation, because there's a lot of people have seen an increase in their mortgage repayments as as we've heard about those interest rate increases, but the people who haven't heard them yet are, of course, those in a fixed term. And a quarter of a million borrowers are on fixed rates in Ireland at the moment that uh, are in place for less than three years. So that's the one to watch in particular. Okay. Um, and it is interesting, uh, Connor, that with these type of schemes, it seems to be very hard to target the people that actually need the support. In other words, yeah. past schemes have said, okay, everyone has a mortgage, gets such amount of interest relief. We had that scheme in 2013 that's been closed down mm -hmm. that cost 43 million to the exchequer. So it, it's while there are people here who are in desperate need of help, Sometimes it's difficult to get to those people. Yeah, it is. And for the general run of mortgage holders, uh, I mean, you'll see a big splash on the front of the Indo today, mortgage relief in the budget. I wouldn't hold out too much hope for people in the general run of things. I mean, they've had to suck up all of the interest rate increases. And I think uh, on a typical mortgage, an extra four or five hundred euro per month in payments over the last couple of years. I, I don't think this scheme is going to relieve that pain. But Leo Varadkar was it, uh, careful to point out that any scheme that they do will be focused and targeted on those who are on the point of losing their homes. 
So, um, you know, the budget, we're going to talk about it later as yeah. well as a touch of uh, perhaps the theme for today, uh, something for everyone in the audience. And that's kind of the conversation that uh, ministers are having behind the scenes. But which leads like me nicely on to our next story, which <laughs> is great, great show. Um, Susan, how did we get on last night? Uh, Patrick Keelty, uh, by all accounts, he did well. Um, he personally seemed to have come out well, but there was some, uh, I saw some comment, I didn't watch it, I have to confess, mm -hmm. but I saw some comment on the, the level of guests that some of them might have been a bit too internal, let's say. Well, I watched it, uh, Bobby. Indeed, I sat down with my mother-in-law last night and we, we settled right in for it. Uh, personally, I enjoyed it, right. I have to say. I, I thought it was very good. I mean, at the end of the day, the way he start, started off, he certainly didn't shy away from any reference to RTE. There was plenty of those tongue-in-cheek right, right throughout. Um, what I found, the, my summary of it, for anyone who didn't see it, was that it was very funny and very serious. It was, uh, to take a sporting analogy, a game certainly of two halves in that, in that regard. There was a real nod to Northern Ireland as well, which I personally really enjoyed. Having Mary McAleese there, having James McLean there, it was a, a, personally I really liked that nuance, and I think that certainly showed off um, Patrick in his own in his own right. Uh, so, in general, I would say a, a good start, but it will be very interesting to see how this goes because there was a lot of a lot of focus on this first show. Obviously, again, a lot of the jokes at the beginning were all re referencing a story. I mean, that story can't go on in every single way, but uh, certainly I enjoyed it. Anyway. Anyway. Um, as Connor, as we know on these radio shows, mm. it's all about the guests. So if you don't have the quality of guests, well, that's uh, you know yeah, that's what do you have? You have nothing. That's why you thrive, Bobby. <laughs> that's why you thrive. Um, yeah, yeah. No. Listen, I I, I wish Patrick Hughes well. I didn't watch it. I was out and about last night um, in the environs of Grafton Street, as it happens, Bobby. I didn't see the show. Um, but look, I think he will do really well. I, I I think he's got a lovely, relaxed style about him. I was chatting to Susan about it beforehand, and maybe it was the first show might have been a little bit clunky in terms of its gear changing between the serious and the light. Uh, but I think he can handle both. And I think yeah. as we get used to him and he gets used to it, um, I, I suspect he'll thrive. I, I do, do think he was a good choice. And he's highly skilled as a presenter, technically, no doubt about that. So yeah. I think he'll do great. Staying with the same subject, Connor, uh, the issue of the sponsor. Yeah. Uh, first of all, you know, this is a... This is, I suppose, one of the plum sponsorships mm. that RTV, RTE have. Um, it wasn't signed until certainly 72 hours uh, before they went live. Yeah. And secondly, uh, it, the amount, uh, the new signing with uh, PTSB, as I understand it, is a significant chunk less than the old sponsorship. Yeah, I, I mean, poor old RTE, but that really was squeaky bum time, wasn't it? I mean, 72 hours before go to yeah. have, And it was one of, clearly one of their plum sponsorships. It had been Renault. Um, for reasons that we all kind of know, I felt they, you know, they felt the need to just reverse out of that association for the time being. And um, so PTSB in place again, it'll work great. But you know, it's a bit of a worry for RTE because you know, New Broom has arrived. This is new, improved RTE, um, and that you know really did feel. Yeah, like but I think there. to be to be there with no sponsor would be would have been a significantly darker place. Can they, I suggest they, they, they had a terrible poker hand to play yeah. because you know any sponsor approach them, you know, clearly is going to have the whip hand. So I'd imagine PTSB uh, drove a good deal on it. Um, presumably, anything they gain out of that will be passed back to mortgage holders. In terms, of, uh, no doubt that's the plan. So eyebrows being raised, Susan, that the fact that the new sponsor is a bank uh, that was bailed out by the state. Any, um, any comment there? 
I suppose, you know, the, the irony isn't lost on one uh, when it comes to that, but particularly what stood out to me was, as you've already alluded to there, Bobby, is that the new season sponsorship came in at a, a cut price of 650000 as Ellen Coyne and Financi in, in the Irish Independent refer to, and that is down from what it would have been in the past, where it, well, sorry, where it was being offered originally at between eight hundred and nine hundred thousand. So, it, but particularly there's alliteration in, in the title of the headline today around commercial contagion, and I think that is one to watch. All right, when it comes to the the delivery of the show over the season. And I don't think the commercially sensitive line is going to wash anymore in terms of uh, letting the public know what's going on. We'll move on because we mentioned mortgages earlier. They do come up in Cliff Taylor's piece in today's Irish Times. He's saying that three big issues make the coalition's trickiest budgets yet. One of them is mortgage holders. The second thing is energy bills and prices. And the third, surprise, surprise, is housing and rent. Yeah, housing and rent being our perma crisis over the last 10 years. And you know, the government is running out of, of auditions, so to speak. They will have to go to the country in due course. So this is what the second last budget from this government. They're going to have to um, demonstrate traction on that big one, housing. Will they get enough done in time to um, you know, stave off the wrath of the voters? Uh, well, you know, answers on a postcard. Um, but they're definitely going to have to do something there. But Cliff Taylor was also talking about the other challenges. Energy prices um, and, and the general cost of pressure on cost of living continues to be an enormous factor. So I joked earlier on about there being something for everyone in the audience. Um, the, the projected surplus this year is now, looks like it's going to be 10 billion. Yeah. Um, so what to do with that, you know, in the broader it's sense? You would depth, never think, bit, Susan, that having, you know, been awash with cash or being flush with money could be as problematic as it is. Well, I'm not uh, a bit surprised this is problematic, Bobby, because I'm sure you well know from being in business when there is a lot of money going around, then, of course, there's also as many questions and as many uh, people who are looking for it. But what I, I, I just want to start off on the renter point, right, because there is conversation around, well, what to do about it. But the particularly when it comes to the, the renter's relief, there's been very low take-up of that. And I do wonder whether enough people are aware that there is a €500 Euro, uh, rent relief available if a single person is paying more than two and a half thousand euros a year on rent or five thousand euros for a couple because the, the take-up on that is much lower in 2023 which is really surprising mm. well i wonder is it because you have to fill out an income tax return and a lot of people don't like the paperwork accordingly and also in addition then of course there's, there's other things to fill in there so i do just want to make that shout out today um right i just want to talk about you know what the thing for everybody in the audience necessarily would be we're looking at a 1.1 billion in tax cuts in an overall 6.4 billion uh, tax budget now it be interesting to see whether that's the real figure uh, at the time because um, you know kind of referred to an audition perhaps it's not the second last budget perhaps it's the last budget so I wonder whether they will try to to exceed that but anyway let's deal with what we have I do want to point out as well that the 200 euro universal credit that costs 400 million euro every time they do it yeah. so we'd be expecting one but I don't know how many more would, would come after that also last year there was a 12 euro increase in the core social welfare rates every euro of increase in a core social welfare rate costs 130 million. So when you look at that at 6.4 billion, you can see where that can go. The one I think that a lot of people will be watching right across the, for, for people who are in an earning capacity, 
if the universal social charge would be cut, now that's a different one because it goes straight from the top as opposed to a tax band. Half a percentage change in that would cost 220 million and also whether there would be an increase in a okay. tax credit as well. Mm. And, 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 and he sums up the article by saying into this bear pit step budget ministers Michael McGrath and Pascal Donoghue against a backdrop of populist politics where households expect to be compensated for everything. Uh, yeah. And they do. And they do, and that's just facet of modern life. Um, I mean, everybody feels that they're in a crisis, everybody wants something, and everybody knows that the government has money. So we, we, we know historically if government spends pro-cyclically, it does more damage to the economy in the long term, and we've paid a heavy, heavy price for that. So Pascal and, my, and uh, Minister McGrath and, and, and the government collectively are trying to put out the message, we must be cautious, we must pay down debt, we must put away a rainy day fund, and there will only be a little to spread amongst okay. the, uh, the populace. So when the, the dust shakes after Budget Day, I doubt we'll be looking at something revolutionary, but I think virtually every taxpayer, and you know, that being facetious, literally everybody in the audience will see some modest uh, increase in, in what they've got in their pockets post-budget. And that's probably as much as can be done wisely. Susan Hayes, Colleton, Ireland to resist any European Commission plans to take more corporate tax. This is a this has been looming for a while, and this is a it's it's not the main story, but it is a big story. So indeed, Conor Pope is speaking about this uh, in the context of how the EU might look at Ireland's contribution to its respective budget because of our corporation tax. So first of all, like why is corporation tax a big story in Ireland? Well, first of all, last year it was 22 billion. It overtook VAT in terms of our uh, collection of taxes. But I think a particularly interesting story about this um, was the Fiscal Advisory Council coming out recently and pointing out that three companies, Bobby, three companies are responsible for a third of all of our corporation tax. And if that figure wasn't striking enough, three companies, Bobby, are responsible of 8% of all tax revenues taken in. And as in long Ireland. as those three companies continue to perform, no problem. Well, as long as they stay as well. I mean, that's also the, the other issue. I mean, a quarter of all of our revenues now come from VAT, or sorry, come from corporation tax. And ICT and pharma, those two industries... But are this is the argument that's always made, Susan, you know, that it's... And I accept that it's it's maybe quite it, potentially volatile, but it's there year after year. Look back at the, at the corporation tax growth, even in the last 10 years. This is why Europe are looking at us. They want some of this cash. Bobby, they said the same thing about... we don't want to give it to them. They yeah. said the same thing about stamp duty in 2006. Yeah, we don't want to give it to them. The re, uh, yes, but the thing is, is that we have to look at, at, like, how long is this going to last? And the way in which the Sovereign Wealth Fund, obviously, is bringing this up, but looks looks the fact that it could be... Hopefully, you're right. Hopefully, it stays there. Um, and there's no reason, necessarily, sitting here live this morning... Um, um, at three in Grafton Street, why that should change, but at the same time, we need to be aware of that. Now, that said, we do need to be aware that Irish national output has risen strongly, and that is a point that Conor Pope brings up, and therefore the state's contribution to the EU budget have also risen. The other thing to point out here, of course, as well, is that corporation tax is rising to 15% for those companies that are turning over 750 million as well. So there's going to be lots, lots to talk about here. The summary of this piece, though, comes right down at the very end of this article where he says, the strongly held belief within government is that the proposed package does not meet the criteria of simplicity transparency, equity, and fair burden sharing, and will not be adopted. In other words, hands off our words, money. In other words, hands off our money, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Conor, you're like me. You like to summarise things to one line. <laughs> um, Larson High's Irish expansion 
after acquisition by UK's UK-based RSK. Interesting business story here yeah. by Paul O'Donoghue, uh, Connor. Yeah. You might tell us more. Yeah, Paul O'Donoghue uh, writing in the Indo today. This is a relative sort of medium-sized Irish company, Larson Water Management, but they've been acquired by a UK outfit. It's still very acquisitive out there, isn't it? Isn't it? There's, there's a lot of stories there of uh, startups or, or sort of uh, early to mature businesses <coughs> that are being acquired. Um, so I guess this is a sign of those times. Um, nice to see them prospering. Um, hopefully the management and team there are doing well. They are saying that it's not going to affect their business model per se. They're in, essentially, they're in technology that detects water leaks. Uh, big demand for that in Ireland and internationally. They seem very good at it. So they're talking about expansion on the island and possibly expansion into the UK. Um, and they say they you know, big, bigger war chests now. They're part of something uh, bigger. But to me, I think the interesting thing is, is uh, you know, just the, the appetite for acquisition. Out but yeah. still there. that's not really surprising, Connor. I mean, if you think about it, there's an awful lot of cash and balance sheets. Mm-hmm. Over the last couple of years... Looking like, for somewhere to go. Yeah, but if we look at the other side of the 10 consecutive increases from the ECB rates, money didn't have necessarily an awful lot of places to go. This is a company buying another company on a private basis. A lot of publicly listed companies, they were buying back their own shares. And then yeah. the other thing is, let's just go back to the fact that Ireland is doing very well from an, from an economy point of view. So therefore, why wouldn't you simply buy up something, drop here, and, and literally hit the ground running. But Connor's right because we've seen it in professional services, we've yeah. seen it in vets, doctors, insurance, insurance yeah. dentists, all being consolidated and all being acquired by, and, and often by VC-backed yeah. uh, UK companies, which is interesting. Well, well, it is, but I mean, the, the growth of VC capital in Ireland is really, really interesting over the past couple of years, and I think that's really been encouraged, whether it's Enterprise Ireland or, uh, or Intertrade Ireland, etc. Um, but all three of us around this table have all set up a business. We know what it's like to start and to build from zero. Mm. If you can find a way uh, to do it uh, in a basis where you've got a company that's got a strong, strong revenue, strong loyalty, and an ability to, to grow in an area where you're already growing, in an economy that's growing, go for it. And the way to sell a business is run a good business. Well, exactly, that's how yeah. it works. As uh, Connor, um, interesting about this uh, sort of fallout from uh, the resignation of Bernard Looney uh, from BP has put a spotlight on the issue of privacy in the workplace. And the headline in the Indo is quite grabbing in a sense that it says, is your employer entitled to know if you're sleeping with a colleague? This yeah, is, it's a big this is question, very, it? very... Uh, yeah. um, uh, well, I mean, obviously it's thrown into um, attention by the BP story and Looney's resignation, having been there for 30 years. And this guy, your very senior executive, his package was over £10 million per annum. Um, and then suddenly he's gone. Um, and look, not really interested in the soap opera of what's happening in, in, in BP. But what it says is, you know, it's an open question. Is your employer entitled to know if you have a romantic, if you're sleeping with a colleague? And the interesting thing is there isn't a clear answer. Yeah. You talk to the various HR experts, and it's all variations on it depends. Yeah. Um, but I think that the companies are concerned about two things. You, you might have a, some sort of suffering in performance, but they don't want to be exposed uh, and thought of that they hadn't properly protected their staff. Because, you know, we're not talking about romantic relations here or mistletoe under the Christmas party or anything like that. It's abusive power. It's, it's when the power dynamic in a relationship is, is one-sided, uh, that, you know, if a physical relationship starts in those circumstances, circumstances abuse is a strong word but the power imbalance means that it tends to be unfair companies don't want that they yeah. don't want that in their work now you, as, as long as you employ human beings you're going to have that in your work but you also need to be very careful as a company about what your policies are yeah. right, in terms of and you know what this says to me 
Susan, is that it's all fine until the relationship breaks down. That seems to be one of the kind of morals of the story. All is fine and well if the relationship is healthy, but if a relationship that started in the workplace goes wrong, the company can be caught in the in, in, in the in the fallout. I think th- this is a tricky story because this is talking about sharing an update with a company about one's personal life and not mis- misconduct. And I think it's important that we need to distinguish the difference here because last year, half of C- uh, four CEO departures among the 3,000 largest US companies were due to misconduct. And that was up from 14% in 2017. So, I mean, you know, there, there's there's that area. But in this case, it was, it was, when I say simply, I don't oversimplify, but it was about the fact that this wasn't disclosed. The the other thing, of course, that we need to be aware of here is that from the point of GDPR is that the, if somebody discloses that they're in a relationship with somebody else in the company, and perhaps that isn't straightforward, and I will let the audience figure that out themselves, <laughs> um, uh, th- that information, of course, implies an awful lot of other things. And if that information was to be leaked, etc. Sure. So, so when it comes to policy, it also comes to policy of disclosure and retention of, of that record as well. But I think the other thing too, and if I go back to specifically the Bernard Lo- Looney story, is that there was a lot of talk this week as well about how BP has been lagging its peers in terms of its share price, the transition into net zero by 2050. So we don't know the full story possibly. I think that there's a lot more to this than we're just reading about. Dead right. If the share price had been roaring ahead, it could have been an entirely different uh, conversation. We might have seen uh, that. Perhaps that's a little Mm -hmm. cynical. And the moral of the story is don't go there is what we're collectively saying. Don't go where, Bobby? (laughs) (laughs) Because, uh, yeah, no, uh, definitely one to watch. But it is a very, very sensitive area and one that I think extreme caution it's a minefield minefield for employers really really tricky and and one not to travel on your own either I think that's important is that it's important to get advice on this if you're not sure whether you're the employee or the employer and it can be you know situations in one scenario can be different in another yeah Um, now um, is Ireland uh, a good place to retire Susan I think it is yeah Mm. personally I mean I and does the data back that up uh, well it does. It says that Ireland is the fourth best place to retire. And I think when I look at this from the perspective of, you know, I grew up in a house that was very much um, gave a lot of respect to older people. And there was a lot of older people in our house. And I remember going over the years as people transitioned into retirement, having this, this conversation. But I think when you look at the home help available, when you get it, it is really, really good. You know, uh, people today, they have the bus pass, the contributory pension. Um, and of course, also, there's an awful lot of public amenities that are available. But all that said, I I do want to make the point that in this uh, in this particular survey that was referenced is that they um, short of half of those who are retired say they are struggling financially to some degree with close to two thirds worrying about the rising cost of living. This ties back in of course to the story that we were mentioning earlier about the budget and I really do hope that we not just take care of our older people today but like I say going back to the corporation tax story etc is that we do always make sure that pensions need to be taken care of in the future as well. We have a big hole in terms of the the government deficit around the ability to fund pensions in the future. So today I think, yes, it is a good place, and I know not everyone would would agree with me, but I would say it is a great place today, but we need to keep an eye on that fiscally into the future. Mm. And as someone who was going to retire but then decided (laughs) not to, Conor. Sort of, yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, I tell you, a a lot of uh, um, potential 
retirees or people coming up to it are worried to, in, with the inflation over the last number of years. Yeah. They're worried about the That's value the of their pot. There were people who were sort of doing the arithmetic 10 years ago going, hey, you know, I'll reach this spot and retirement will be fine. And they're reassessing now because, uh, you know, the, the, the pot, the lump sum isn't going to extend as much as it was. So again, in the same article, there's talk of um, retiree or people approaching retirement fearing they're going to have to continue to work uh, past when they planned to. Um, so you look, on the international metrics that are unambiguous, like quality of life, life expectancy, per capita health spend, all of those ones that score Ireland as a very, very good place to live and a very, very good place to retire, they are all true. And I guess we should be proud of it, but uh, there are problems out there. And for anybody in retirement or approaching it, significant chunk of people are, are, are facing that with a good deal more worry now than they would have done five, six years ago, because okay. of inflation primarily, I think. Uh, Susan, uh, last story, um, how to stave off boredom. Uh, Philip Nolan, the motoring correspondent <laughs> in the Irish Mail, is saying that uh, it's a bit of a dilemma now if you have an EV, how you kill your time when you're waiting that 35 minutes in the... Uh, petrol forecourt has, or forecourt, mm -hmm. um, what does one do? Bobby, set up a business and you'll never again be bored for the rest of your life, <laughs> right? For, for, for a start, I'll, I'll start off there. I, I mean, I'd say I haven't been bored since I was about 12 and a half myself. Um, there's plenty of ways, of course, of saving off boredom. And he does mention here, like, downloading your movies and uh, watching YouTube, etc. But of course, I also have to say, whether it's listening to the show uh, back on the podcast, or whether it's applying for a small business grant at three, or whether it might be listening to a podcast of anything that can upskill you, uh, there is no challenge at all in keep saving off boredom for 35 minutes. Connor, as a motoring man, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, whiling away those 35 minutes well, when you wait for your EV to charge? Yeah, that poor old Philip was reporting his, his adventures driving around in, in an EV and telling us that, you know, the mileage melts when you're on the motorway. Um, so there he was, plugged in with, what, 40 minutes waiting to charge. I don't know, Bobby, could we sell him some coffee? I would imagine <laughs> that would... Two coffees. That's not just one, but two. Okay, well, I want to thank you both for coming to us here uh, live to our show from the three store here on Grafton Street. Susan Hayes, Cullerton, and Connor Falcon, thank you for a great business review. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.